0: Hello and welcome to the Third Sector podcast. I'm Russell Hargrave.
1: And I'm Lucinda Rouse. We're reporters at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector.
0: And this week, we will be talking about charities and artificial intelligence, or AI, after the rise of ChatGPT, the chatbot that was launched to such public fanfare last November.
1: But first, Russ, you have been marking a special anniversary recently.
0: Yes, it was cake and balloons for the first year in the job as charity regulator for Orlando Fraser, who's chair of the Charity Commission. And so I thought it was a good opportunity one year on from my first chance to sit down and interview with him. I wrote a piece for Third Sector looking at what the last year had been like for Orlando Fraser and what some other people in the sector thought about it as well.
1: And what have been some of the notable achievements or milestones of the current chair in the past year?
0: Well, I think there are broadly three things I picked out in the piece. And if you'll indulge me, I'll go through them very quickly, one by one. But just as a bit of context, his two predecessors as chair of the commission, so Baroness Tina Stahl, permanent predecessor to him, and then before that, William Shawcross. In different ways, both had a difficult relationship with the charity sector. Shawcross was very heavily criticised, especially for the way in which he treated some Muslim charities. There was seen to be a, a disproportional focus on risks that Shawcross perceived there. And then the relationship with Tina Stowell, I have to say, was extremely poor between the sector and her she was viewed with some suspicion as somebody who spent far too much time criticizing charities and finding fault with charities and not enough time supporting and bolstering the sector. So the context is that Orlando Fraser came in to succeed two chairs who hadn't had the easiest, warmest relationship. I have to say the first thing is that I think those relations are much better. If you read my piece um, there are a couple of people there, uh, Jay Kennedy, who's from the Directory for Social Change. Also, I talked to some people from the Sheila McKechnie Foundation, who are real critics, of, you know, and they will not be slow to criticise the commission if they think that what the commission is up to isn't helpful to the sector. But they were both warm, if not overwhelming, in what they've they've looked at from the first year of Fraser's time. So I think there's already a step in the right direction that those relations are much, much better. That's the first thing. The second one I'd say is that he's exercising a lot of soft power at the moment. Um, he's interested in what the regulator can do that is not just its formal regulatory powers. How can it convene? How can it bring people around the table, philanthropists, businesses, charities, other stakeholders, all in the interest of the sector? It's a quixotic approach, quite an interesting one, but I wrote about that. And finally, there are some dangers on the horizon, aren't there always? The social media guidelines that I know you previously have talked to guests here on the podcast about, some charity sector folk really don't like them. They think they're not fair. They think they're going to put an unfair burden on charities. And at the moment, the Charity Commission is consulting on those. And there will be a bit of a bump in the road if there's a danger that the commission is seen to start freezing some of the freedoms that charities have had to campaign, that kind of thing. So I touched on that too.
1: And what are the future priorities of the Charity Commission under Orlando Fraser? Has that been verbalised and how does he plan to address them?
0: Well, I did ask him and I must admit he was sort of looking back to look forward, as it were. So he talked about how proud he'd been that charities had worked so hard on helping people during the Ukraine crisis. He talked about coming out the other end financially of COVID-19. And he talked about the fact that the charities had been forced to weather all the pressures of the um, inflation crisis we're going through at the minute. And he basically said he hoped that charities who had done so much good in the last year would carry on for the next two years, and that he'd be there to kind of support charities when they did the right thing and be a a fair but firm regulator when they did the wrong thing, which is what you'd expect him to say. So I'd imagine plenty of continuity in years two and three.
1: Thanks, Russ. And now I want to ask you one last thing. Did you notice anything interesting about my questions?
0: I thought they were very open-ended and gave me the chance to wang on at length. Why do you ask?
1: Yes, well, actually, because I had eight written here and you've only given me the chance to ask you two because <laughs> you spoke so long. But my questions were generated by ChatGPT. I knew
0: you weren't doing any work. I knew you just plugged it into a system. Typical.
1: Well, seemingly, it seems that our prep can be done by by a robot, <laughs> which does bring into question quite how many hours of our time should be paid for. Yeah, we should, we should make
0: sure that our bosses don't listen to this podcast. I think <laughs> it wouldn't help our career chances.
1: Anyway, that brings us in quite nicely to the next portion of the episode, which is going to be talking about artificial intelligence. We have two guests with us in the studio today. Jonathan Chevalier is the chief executive of Charity Digital, formerly Tech Trust, a charity which seeks to help other charities make use of digital technology to accelerate their missions. Before taking up the role, he had senior positions in management software and medical technology firms. Hello, Jonathan.
2: Hi, nice to meet you.
1: And you too. And also with us is Angus, or Gus Gregory, chief executive of Biomni, a software development company which has developed a virtual assistant chatbot called Tengen. Biomni has recently developed CharityBot, a slimmed-down version of an existing product tailored for charities. Hello, Gus.
3: Hi, thank you very much for the welcome.
1: Well, thank you both very much for being here. So, Gus, people have been talking about artificial intelligence for decades. How has the advent or arrival of ChatGPT moved the conversation along.
3: Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, since ChatGPT has come along, it really has transformed. I mean, you open every newspaper and turn on the radio or TV, it's being talked about. The great thing about ChatGPT is what it's meant is, is people have realized that AI, this AI technology that's been talked about for so long, is now accessible by lots more people. You don't need to be a data scientist. You don't need to have lots of skills. It's accessible to so many people. And what it has also done is it's meant that people have realized that you can use natural language to use it. You're not having to think about a programming language. You're talking the same language that you would have with a conversation with your friend or somebody. And what that's meant is is that interacting with systems has now not become a menu-driven approach anymore, it's very much having a conversation with a system rather than a prescriptive use of this is what you've got to do, click here, click here. And I think that's what's transformed it. People have realized that you can just use natural language. It's very accessible, in some cases, signing up and using it for free, essentially. And what that's meant is people can really have a great use of this technology very quickly and very affordably.
0: And Jonathan, if you're at Charity Digital and Charities do come to you, talking about some of the opportunities that Gus has also identified, where in a charity services do you think this stuff is most relevant? We were thinking earlier about fundraising, about service delivery, about communications. Is it all of that?
2: Potentially it is all of that, yes. I guess one of the interesting things that's been evolving is the difference between what I'll call pre-learned systems, like ChatGPT, which is widely available to any charity irrelevant of their budgets. This is maybe some of the solutions which went before, uh, which were maybe only available to the, the charities with big budgets. So if we think of some of the work that's been done by the the brain tumour charity, for example, uh, around using AI to better identify brain tumours, it's a great application, but it's expensive. Your average charity, which we, we know is is small, might be entirely volunteer run or have less than a million pounds income for sure, can't afford that. Whereas something like ChatGPT, they can actually use it. Um, They can use it to generate copy, which might go in a fundraising email, or for their website. Although doing that unsupervised is not something I would ever recommend.
0: And that was something I was going to think, you know, if if our listeners are thinking, oh, God, that sounds like it's going to do me out of a job. Have you got words of reassurance about whether things like this are actually complementary rather than... Replacing people's
2: skills. Yeah. The nice way I've heard it described as systems like ChatGPT are great for doing tasks. But most jobs are actually made up of a large number of tasks with some intelligent oversight that is required. And if you think about how you get the best out of something like ChatGPT, you have to give it good inputs. You know, they call it the prompts, the little questions you ask it, and then you refine it to get good output. And then when you get that output, you need to check it, to fact check it, to make sure it's, it's correct, because believe it or not, not everything in chat GPT is necessarily correct because it was just programmed with a whole lot of intelligence from the internet, some of which is very accurate and correct, and some of which isn't, and some of which is highly biased. So that process of, of reviewing the outputs and refining them so that they genuinely are correct. And also, as a charity, you'll have a tone of voice. Uh, which isn't going to be the same as what ChatGPT outputs. So you actually need to work on that output to put it into your your tone of voice.
0: And you mentioned the Brain Tumour Charity. Could you say a bit more about what it is that they already do with this sort of technology?
2: Yeah, so the Brain Tumour Solution, what used to happen was that very skilled people would just review scans of brains to identify early signs of of brain Mm tumours you can, through machine learning approaches, show vast numbers of tumours in very early stages of development. And through that process, the AI learns to recognise what an early stage brain tumour looks like. And in actual fact, in many cases, the accuracy rate can be higher than that of a person. But of course, you wouldn't, just get the scan back. The AI says you've got a brain tumour and operate without thinking any further. The human intervention still comes in to, to look at it, look at whether there are other markers, work out what the best clinical intervention is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why it's helping with a task that's quite laborious, reviewing lots of scans. But then we need the human intelligence on top. Mm,
1: sounds very sophisticated. <laughs> uh, Gus, is charity bot completely different use? of AI? Well, it's
3: it's not a completely different use. What it's doing is it's using these language models for people to access information. And so what we've done with CharityBot is taken our expert digital assistant and applied automation and various other services to that to bring it to an audience that maybe doesn't have necessarily a large budget or no or any budget at all, really, to allow it to do things that may be repetitive tasks, as we were saying earlier, in the sense of patrons or people coming to the website to ask questions, to get information. Those sorts of things could be done, you know, they're often very repetitive tasks and, and often the same question gets asked often. So in, in our case, what we've done with CharityBot is to very quickly enable information to be added to that and then Questions could be asked using natural language without having to understand that it's AI that you're talking to a chatbot effectively. And so the concept is still the same, but it just enables repetitive tasks to be done much quicker, cheaper, and it frees up the human resource to do other, maybe more uh, important tasks. And where where there's resource that's constrained or uh, under pressure because of extra workload, these tasks can be done in an automated fashion. Of course, that's at the simple point of just asking questions to get information. You could then extend that to be doing all sorts of other things, such as interacting with systems, getting information out to then pass back to the user asking those questions.
1: And how do you make sure that it is tailored to the style and the brand almost of Different charities.
3: Well, well, that's the key thing, is that it's not just relying upon the internet, as we were saying. This is using knowledge from that charity, from that organisation, using their content into the system that's then controlled in a way that when the people are asking those questions, it's putting... The answers back in the language that they want to see it as. So it isn't just relying upon go and search the internet and you get a few answers back. It's about using the knowledge that's been gained from either people from years of experience or building up this knowledge in companies and organizations to then put into that system for people to then question and ask and get information back out of
1: Mm. And Jonathan, have you seen any examples of charities using this type of technology already that have been particularly effective?
2: So there have been few already actually. So I know that one of the ones that's been running for quite a long time is Age UK. Uh, so they put a effectively a chatbot system in which enables people to ask in natural language terms of information they wanted. And obviously when we think here about the core audience for Age UK. Many of those are maybe older people mm. who are not so uh, comfortable with technology. So being able to ask in natural language a simple question about information they want, which then the system brings straight back to them, this is the article you want to read in more detail. That That's worked well. I know that UNICEF have also been using a chatbot with refugees in the Lebanon, again, to provide information about things like healthcare, education. Other services and um, that was using a system called rapid pro so so a number of them are, are out there. There are probably quite a number of others that we're not yet aware of because mm-hmm. they're in development or in an early stage of implementation, so people actually haven't got the confidence around their results yet to be able to to share them but I'm expecting to see a lot more over the coming years
0: begs the obvious question in a way a charity' a little late to the party on this um i know that chat gpt is new but these sort of versions of introducing new tech to try and free up time for people to use their skills elsewhere bring down your overheads do more for more demand which we've all been talking about private industry has done that for a while now a, a charity sort of playing
2: catch up in my opinion yes and in one sense ai is no different from this to many other technologies the, the charity sector isn't generally an early adopter of new technologies, and you know the reasons for those are often to do with available budgets. You know the sector as a whole just has less money to spend than maybe if you compare it to a financial services business, or some of the utilities of obviously who are used to dealing with maybe interacting with millions of consumers, it was much easier for them to build a, a cost-benefit case. So the charity sector, yeah, it is late. But I think there's there's lots of potential benefits overall in terms of being able to to deliver more so providing better access to information, better targeting things like fundraising campaigns, and being able to run more of those which are more customized as well and therefore deliver more outputs?
3: Yeah, often it's not just necessarily budget, it's also the skills. You know, Sometimes the skills aren't necessarily there in order for them to take on new technology, and it takes a bit of time to get to that. And I think that, that that's a failing maybe on the private sector to help organisations either tr- provide skills or training, as well as affordable applications for the charity sector to adopt. And I think that's something that could be changed in the future, for sure.
0: I guess that's one of the flip sides as well, isn't it? That private companies maybe have Tried this and failed a few times before hitting the right solutions. That's something that charities can learn from without having to fail quite as many times themselves. Well,
3: I think with the the private sector is obviously, as we're saying that you know they're often the first to adopt these things, primarily because there's a you know a competitive advantage they're looking Mm -hmm. for to go to market with a particular service or or product. Whereas the charities, this is not necessarily a you know a competitive advantage. They're trying to provide a better service to their beneficiaries, etc. And I think that's why then maybe they don't adopt these these technologies as quickly as say a a corporate organization because that corporate organization is looking to to get a competitive advantage but there is huge advantages available to the charities if they can find an affordable way forward with some of the and and you're right ai is irrelevant in this situation is because it's all technology applying to the charity sector is the same but there is advantage to be had by maybe utilizing these types of technologies to take cost out, do things quicker with less resource, et etc, and also sometimes you know it 's been explained to us that potentially these types of technologies can help with getting people to interact with a charity in maybe some, sometimes they might be more sometimes embarrassed to contact them or it might be a sensitive subject but having a conversation with a system that may bring that sort of anonymity to the the person asking the question, but they can still get advice, they can still get quick and positive feedback from that, as well as the charity being able to see the conversation that the person's had up until that point of contacting them. That's also one of the great advantages of this AI technology is that it isn't just an interaction with a website anymore. It's a conversation that's being had, so you don't just get a – they click here, they click there. You kind of get the sentiment of what the person is engaging with your charity for. And that's an important bit of information that they can then apply to the services that they then provide.
1: But then on the flip side, there's going to have to be work done to build trust in those systems, right? I expect I'm probably not alone in wanting to throw my computer out of a window when I'm trying to get customer service from, I think it was an airline. And all I had was their virtual assistant, which could (laughs) not have been more unhelpful. How can organizations and particularly charities that are delivering advice often on very sensitive matters, sometimes medical issues, how can they guarantee or suitably improve their service to Yeah, gain the trust of the people who are trying to access that information. It is
3: becoming a skill. And more and more, you're seeing people developing conversational skills, capability for these chatbots. And I think one of the failings of previous incarnations of chatbots, as you've well experienced, most of us have, is the fact that people adopted these technologies very quickly, primarily for competitive advantage, etc., they didn't necessarily take the conversation and how the end user is going to engage with this as to, you know, how they go through that journey of the conversation and how they measure it and manage it. It was more about, well, they just want to contact us and let's just try and stop phone calls coming to our contact center. And I think that's what's changing is people are looking at the conversation of how you build the engagement with the user through that whole process. And it is a skill. It's being worked on. It's being improved. Is it 100% no, I don't believe it is. I think there's still lots more work to be done. And the sector providing these technologies is really having to work much, much harder to make them more adoptable, really, and accepted by the consumers because of the bad experiences many people have had in these these early phases of chat technology.
1: And presumably with the advent of chat GPT and there being so much exposure to it, and I think probably, is it correct to say, more public buy-in to this form of information gathering will hopefully speed that process along do you think
2: i think the interesting thing about chat gpt is it's the first ai which i feel is really consumer ready so you know any of us can play with it to our hearts content and see what the technology does and better understand the limits and the benefits overall but i think in terms of organizations deploying the solutions And this is a general principle, you should always be user-led in your design. And I think, as Gus said, too many businesses before were maybe just saying, yeah, how do we stop these calls coming in and save a lot of money? And they created massively frustrated users. Whereas if you think about this in terms of the user interaction, try and ensure that the system will support a positive journey. And if it doesn't, offer the opportunity to talk to a person because there will always be some problems which are so unique and so specific that the AI can't be problem programmed to solve them. Enabling that kind of like that jumping off point to me seems critical as well.
3: I totally agree with the fact that GPT, chat GPT in particular, has changed the way that people are interacting. And I think it's at both ends of the scale. The organizations providing the technology are getting better at it, but the people using the technology are getting better educated and understand that the way you use these technologies is you gotta learn that as well. And, and hopefully ChatGPT is much more natural to us, the way that we have conversations, the way you ask questions. And maybe in the future that's something that gets educated at school is how we how do we use these things? Because it is, and maybe that's another podcast um, <laughs> that you could have. But maybe it is a case of that you know educating the people of how to actually interact right. with chatbot. Is part of the challenge that we need to address.
0: Yeah. Well, and education is part of setting those limits. Regulation is another one. And I think here at the set we write about charity regulation an awful lot, but it feels to me like some of the new tech is very sort of under regulated. It's always one of the critiques, isn't it, that these things come along very quickly and regulation sort of comes along behind sometimes years in its trail. Do you anticipate any places where charities, we talked a lot about health, where again, healthcare very heavily regulated, do you imagine that any of the regulation linked to the tech will be able to keep up with what healthcare regulation demands, that sort of thing?
2: It's interesting. I think the EU are probably the the most advanced in this Mm. at the moment in terms of their have a new bill i don't think it's been fully in- enacted yet but they're they're kind of categorizing it down into three categories so at the lowest level they have what they're calling no risk uses of, of ai where they're saying we don't need any regulation for this then they've got high risk where they're saying there needs to be regulation and then they've got kind of unacceptable risk where they're saying these types of solutions should be banned. Mm. And that seems like a sensible mm. way through. So, if you think about healthcare, because healthcare has such critical outcomes for an individual, you're not going to say that's no risk and you're not going to say it's unacceptable because you're actually trying yeah. to have a benefit, but it does need to be regulated. And there are really interesting questions of, about liability as well with some of these solutions because, in actual fact, things like AI in cars is the best example of that. So, if a car which is being driven by an AI, tesla maybe crashes who's who's liable for that is it the supposed driver who was controlling it or is it actually the manufacturer who programmed it and was actually controlling where it went You know, there are some some quite deep questions and regulation is the only way through that kind Mm -hmm. of that that morass to work out who is liable and therefore who needs to put what controls in place to make these things safe and acceptable for daily use
3: it's also going to depend on the application that you're using it for. If you're just using it to ask questions of knowledge that's of a provider, maybe that doesn't need to be regulated as much. But if, as you say, if you're using it to drive your car, then potentially that's a deeper issue that you have to, to manage. So I, I do think it's there is going to have to be regulation for sure, but I think it's going to be varying in terms of what type of application it's being applied for at the time.
0: Oh, it sounds like there are templates out there that will either be used directly or can be borrowed from, as, as people say. Actually, um, right?
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. And there was that open letter signed or written a few weeks ago by a group of AI experts mm. and other industry executives, not least among them Elon Musk, who co-founded OpenAI, mm. which developed ChatGPT, calling for a pause in developing systems due to the potential threats to society and humanity. Should charities thinking of working with this kind of software pay attention to that and perhaps be timid about where they go with it in the short term?
2: I don't think it should affect a charity's approach because what these researchers and developers were doing was saying there needed to be a pause on some of the learning around the new applications, you know, so the cutting edge and where that is going to. If we look at the types of applications that charities could deploy today, then they're they're not at that high risk end. So there are lots of things they can do in terms of be it improving their fundraising, improving the service that they're providing to their beneficiaries that they can do that is that is no risk really and has a lot of upside and benefit for them.
1: So we've talked a little bit, well, we've talked a lot about gaining access to information and knowledge and advice through this kind of technology. You talked a little bit about fundraising. Could you give any specific examples or ideas for charities perhaps which don't have the biggest budgets to be co-developing or well investing in sort of great new systems how can voluntary organizations make use of this kind? yeah so the
2: the ultra low cost approach is to be using tools like chat gpt for textual interaction uh, using tools like dally um, which is uh Graphical images as well, and using them to to generate content for themselves at, at much lower cost than they could do if they were doing each of those, you know, individually themselves from nothing. And for me, I think the nice example here is we all know that one of the hardest things to write is when you have a totally blank sheet of paper, and then you write a series of bullet points, and then you start to craft maybe a page of content around that to go on your website. You could just have put those same bullet points straight into Chat GPT and said, Write me a page of content on these six points and it would produce you a starting point. And then humans are really great at looking at those and going, Well, I don't like that bit, I don't like this, you missed that and the other, and refining it into the final version. But the tool can accelerate. So that's the key thing. Provide them a massive accelerator. And it's similar when we look at things like image generation as well. It's hard to generate from nothing. It's much easier to change and evolve, and AIs are great for assisting that.
3: And we've seen one example with uh, Charity Excellence, where they've cre- where, where they've got a lot of knowledge about creating funding documents. So what they've mm. done is they've created a set of questions that are making available to people say, come in here, answer these questions, and then it will generate using the GPT language models to create those funding documents. So again, you know, sitting there with a blank sheet of paper, how am I going to write this document mm. to raise funds? That's what they use, and have had a tremendous amount of success from that, people accessing that. And what it means is, is that you could maybe do two or three versions of your document and say, well, I don't like that version. I'll go to another one and try try different and get the model to produce these different ones. And as you say, it's a starting point. I hate writing for a sign. I would, I would absolutely use that every day because it just gets you a starting point. It's the blue sky thinking that you can use these things for to just get the brain flowing and saying right where do we go from there but it does need to be fact checked it does need that human so it's not going to replace people's jobs and those in that respect it's definitely going to aid people's jobs
1: russ and i sitting here looking worried at each (laughs) other (laughs) but um so you've talked about the giving out information and producing content what about the other side like getting donor insights or data collection
2: I haven't yet come up with an ultra low cost way of getting those those donor insights, you know, at this point in time, to the best of my knowledge, you're going to have to go through the learning process. So taking your data set and training the AI engine on your data set and then getting the insights out of it. So that is obviously going to cost more mm-hmm. than using a an off the shelf tool like ChatGP to to generate content.
1: Perhaps, in the future,
3: yeah, I saw a great example with prostate cancer. was it last year, I think there was a, a WhatsApp campaign that came around, and myself and a colleague uh, was centered and that was using uh, an AI tool at the back end that you asked answered all these questions, and it took you through you know based on whatever question you answered took you down and obviously they were doing lots of data gathering clearly which which was great but also from from myself I was then registered with prostate cancer had never been before with them and subsequently now I am constantly being reminded about certain things you know awareness checklist do those sorts of things but at the same time there's always the prompt by the way you know we are a charity please be a donor and I think that's a simpler way of doing it but it can be effective as well because again you mentioned it earlier where you know, using these types of technologies, you could maybe do awareness campaigns on a more regular basis at a cheaper cost. Whereas before, maybe it may have taken quite a big part of your budget to create one of these these awareness campaigns to maybe get people aware of the of the charity and get donations in, etc. Uh, and maybe that's an, just another way of just making awareness of of a charity and its needs.
0: We've talked a little bit about driverless cars. We've talked about content being generated, just sort of dipping into the internet and bringing it back with people not having to put pen to paper, all of which would have seemed very utopian indeed mm. 10 or 20 years ago and now is part of the national conversation. What might charities benefit from, do you think, in another 10 or 15 years? What are the, the things that tech put within our reach? Not You're not promising anything here, but is there anything that we might actually look at as really boosting the charity sector in the next decade or so?
2: One of the things I'd also expect to say, and It's much closer than 10 to 15 years. But it also is better identification of beneficiaries and their needs. Mm. Um, So one of the problems that we're seeing at the moment in the charity sector that you'll all be familiar with is this kind of ever-increasing demand and how you meet that demand. And obviously, for charities with very finite resources, that's a, a challenge. So I think there's a real opportunity for AI to better stratify those groups of users um, as they come into contact with a charity and direct them to the most appropriate channel of fulfillment. So identifying somebody with very deep, complex needs who's going to need a very personalized service, actually identifying them early and giving them that personalized service is going to get the best outcome for that person and probably cost less than taking them through lots of more convoluted processes, where there might be other people who can be very self-service with a relatively light touch intervention from the charity in terms of people terms. And there'll be groups in between. So maybe the AI can work out more of these They'll also almost become personalized journeys Mm. through what the charities can provide, which will be a mixture of automated responses, content. Some of them might be face-to-face. Some will be person over a phone. You know, it could be a whole blend. But I can see that AI could make a real difference there and quite quickly, actually.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think where it will provide the biggest benefits is, you know, most charities are using their website as their means of promoting themselves and getting people to come in but again to, to analyze a website that takes a lot of work a lot of you need lots of tools whereas i think ai will as i said earlier will bring in what the conversation is being had with your organization is electronically and that being able to understand that and mind that and use that information will be very valuable. And as you say, the journey that the person's on during that conversation could go down various different routes. And it may be that you end up talking to a human, you know, on the telephone or you're having a chat with them, you know, via like you would on a WhatsApp type thing. But it's that journey that you get taken through based on the sentiment within the conversation and being able to then analyse that at a later stage. That's what we can achieve quite quickly, I think. Not so many in, in years to come, in, in months to come, really. It's, it's there now for people to take advantage of.
1: All well, fascinating, and I'm sure a conversation that will continue <laughs> for many, many years to come. Jonathan and Gus, thank you both very much for joining us.
3: Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: That's it for this week. Next week, I'll be on location at Comic Relief so that you can experience a day in the life of one of their grant makers.
0: In the meantime, it falls to me to thank both Gus and Jonathan for talking to us and Nav Pal, our producer. As ever, if you want to listen to the Third Sector podcast, you can download it from any podcast provider and you can read the transcripts which go up every week on thirdsector.co.uk.